You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hope you guys are having a very happy holidays. Of course, with New Year's around the corner, we'll all probably stay up nice and late, not to see 2021 in, but to make sure that this damn 2020 leaves. And today we got a great lineup as we look into the new year. I want to talk about a few predictions here. Specifically, what does 2021 hold for the Canadian housing market? But we're not going to stop there. You're going to learn a ton. If you're new to this channel, please subscribe. We're going to, we continue to put out fa fabulous content, analyzing the market, keeping up to date with the latest news. I, as a broker and investor, want to know myself. And so we're constantly looking for trends. We're looking for opportunities. And in the way of our condo discussion, we're going to start to hear a bit of those bandwagon jumpers coming into play today. But then we're going to also transition into delinquencies. Are we going to see some delinquencies in 2021? Because those numbers are rising here in Toronto. What does that look like? And of course, can we expect expect another eviction moratorium into the new year here in Ontario. Bah, bah, bah. But anyways, we're having lots of fun. Please guys share this podcast. If you're learning some stuff, want to make sure that the folks around us that we're talking to are also equally informed on our market and hit that sub and whatever, like comment, all of those things help grow our channel. And so my question to you as well, if you want something to comment below is what is your new year's resolution? My New Year's resolution is giving back to the community. This coming school year, I'm becoming a volunteer crossing guard for an online school. <laughs> Let me know what you guys plan on doing, and uh, we like to have some fun on this show. So let's jump into our first article that stems from TorontoStories.com, your top article when you look up Toronto real estate on Google. Here's what it's called. Five Canadian housing market predictions for 2021. This comes from CEO of Zucasa, Lauren Haw. That's a female, not a, uh, it's not a hee-haw, it's a she-haw. <laughs> Such a stupid joke. As soon as I saw a haw, I'm like, the kid's name is ha-ha. Anyways, so dumb. So dumb. What? Anyways, gotta keep it fun. 2021 housing market trends report from Zucasa. What do they have to say? What are the five predictions from Sheha Lauren Haas, CEO of Zucasa? Number one, 18 hour cities across Canada will continue to drive housing demand. If you've missed this in past conversations, past podcast episodes, we've talked about what an 18 hour city is to bring you guys up to speed. If you look at a place like Toronto, it's 24 hours. In fact, Toronto for the longest time was the only 24 hour city, meaning it never sleeps. An 18-hour city is it almost never sleeps. And, and we're starting to see these up and coming. A great example right now would be Ottawa. Here's what they say. Many look to 18-hour cities, often defined as mid-sized cities with attractive amenities, higher than average population growth, and a lower cost of living and cost of doing business than the biggest urban centers to find better value. So the prediction is these 18-hour cities are going to continue to outperform. Now, number two guess... It's a guess. They call it a prediction, but it's really a guess. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's justified. Typical seasonal real estate cycles will return, and buyers will face strong competition. Why? Well, based on today's expectations of an approved COVID vaccine, oh, we'll talk about that in a second. Being rolled out in the coming weeks and months, plus an entire real estate industry that has now experienced safe safely working within the framework of COVID, buyers and sellers can expect for more traditional real estate cycles to reemerge in 2021 with the market being at its busiest in the spring and the fall, which is scary. 
because as we rounded into 2021, one of the things I was saying is I really, really, really hope we get a winter market. I hope things slow down, but we're not seeing that all that much, which could pose ourselves a problem, especially given this prediction that the spring is going to be hotter than the winter months. I don't know. I don't know. But why are home prices surging? And I saw this article from John Pasalis. This is actually a, a tweet in the Twitterverse. And he was responding to Cameron Wilson, who said, just bonkers. I was getting calls on how to use their margin for down payments again. A lot of my kids, quote, my kids will never get in. So I am buying it for them now. P.S. The kids are five. That was a post. My kids are never going to get a house. I got to pick it up now. Well, it's still possible, feasible, affordable. John says, one of the many reasons home prices are surging, the demand for houses today is not just current demand, but some function of future demand as well. Homeowners believe that if they don't buy their five-year-old kid a home today, they'll never be able to afford it in the future. Man. I'll tell you, the demand that we have today, and if you add this in this potential future demand, not to mention, to mention international demand, whatever that looks like, I'll tell you this. Buyers, <laughs> sorry, homeowners, open up your legs, Toronto. <laughs> Buyer demand is about to kick you square in the nuts at midnight on December 31st. We'll be starting the new year on the highest note possible. <laughs> All right, prediction number three. Or just a guess, depending on how you look at it. Condo-dense markets could see an uptick in rental demand. This is about as far as we're going to go in the rental space. But I thought this was an interesting point. Ha says, if the border opens up the life begin and life begins to trend closer to what it was like pre-pandemic as a result of the vaccine, where's that? Let's see it. We can expect demand for rentals to grow again in city centers, particularly in the later half of the year. Talking about rent rates. So we're going to start to see based on this prediction, rent seemed to pick itself up in the second half. That has been a very similar story in the condo buying and selling market as well. But I think we're going to start to see some traction picking up. If you've missed our last few podcasts, you'll get a refresher today. But all of that to say, okay, so a vaccine is really what we're looking forward to. Because if we're going to make bad news worse, <laughs> Canada reports, this is a global news article, Canada reports first cases of UK coronavirus variant. Here's what you need to know. This is what they say. The discovery of a new, possibly more contagious variant of COVID-19 in Canada calls for more stringent lockdowns. So that's the first thing. More lockdowns. Great. Curbs international travel. Great. And a need to vaccinate people faster, experts say. All of these things, they don't look so hot if, in fact, the vaccine is the trigger for price increases, which I don't think they are, but a lot of the optimism is coming from that. Let's see. COVID part two. <laughs> Number four, mortgage rates will remain affordable. Here's what they have to say about that. Based on the bank's guidance, we can expect overnight lending rate to remain steady for much of 2021 as the economy reacts to short-term spikes in COVID cases and recovers over the long term as the vaccine rolls out. It's one of those things, right? The vaccine is really a driving factor. But one of the things they do point out, which we've mentioned also on the show, is you could see fixed rate mortgages go up because as this risk goes down, prices, rates could go up. They say this, this in turn, meaning the bond market recovers in response to the vaccine news and rollouts, this could in turn impact the rate. So the bond market, the increases in the bond market could lead to increases in the fixed rate mortgages. In other words, if you're coming up for renewal, lock those things in now, lock them in now. And 
On the note of money printing, global money printing, Bank of Canada seems to be increasing their balance sheet. I saw a Steve Soretsky post this morning on Twitter. After a brief pause, the Bank of Canada's balance sheet is inflating once again. <laughs> Here we go. Wee! Right? They're not going up as fast, but where is the limit? The sky? Central banks continue flooding the market with dollars. At least it's nice to see one New Year's resolution is being followed. One month in and the EU has already lost a pound. Right? That's pretty much about it. <laughs> Trim the fat. And prediction number five. The housing market in the prairies could get a boost. Not the focal point of here on the Toronto Real Estate Podcast, but I think it's interesting to note. In the prairies, you can find something for under 500000 on average. And if the world starts turning again, the economy, immigration into the region begins to recover in response to the vaccine, we can expect to see the housing market in the prairies may start to bounce back later in the year. And all of these things are very optimistic. It's a very optimistic outlook. That's why I try and kind of show all angles. I think it's important that we see both before we make our ultimate predictions ourselves. But the call is up to you. And if there was one place of optimism today that I want to share with you, I believe for the holidays, it's condos that are going to steal the show. Okay. And you know what happened to the man who shoplifted a calendar on New Year's Eve? He got 12 months. So... <laughs> The condo market. What's it been doing, man? What's it doing? The last few podcasts, we've kind of put our neck on the line to say condos are probably going to increase or there's some optimism happening that people are ignoring in the mainstream media. And usually, I like these predictions, I find there tend to be at least two, three, maybe four weeks ahead of the general trend. I haven't, for goodness sake, even published the December stats. But the news is picking this one up pretty quick. Let the bandwagon hopping begin. Because the Toronto, Sto Toronto Star is reiterating what we've said over the last couple weeks. Toronto's condo market had a miserable time under COVID-19. Here's what experts say is likely to happen next year. What comes next for condos? Christmas is traditionally a real estate dead zone, but this year, Realosophy said the agents at its Leslieville brokerage were busy right up to the holidays. And I've seen a lot of activity on the listings I'm working on as well. Seems to be a lot of activity considering you're supposed to be taking a break. Not to mention with COVID, stay inside. But no, real estate market's been hot. Some of that activity suggests that Toronto's condo recovery may already be underway. And before I continue in this article, I think it's important as part of the negotiating that I do with my listings and with my buyers too, is I often will educate the other agent on what's going on in our market because clearly we know and a lot don't. Now, the thing is, is the last few people I've talked to, I've said, you know what? There's a lot of optimism in the condo space. I can share with them a few stats that we've shared on the show. And you know what? They're buying it. Like this is one of the things because I'm not getting a lot of pushback agents saying, no, 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 because it's immediate. You'd say, well, condo price are about to shoot up in the first quarter. I'm used to agents bouncing back and saying, no, they're not. They won't. Look at condos. They're sagging. Uh, right. It's all part of that lousy negotiating that they do. However, I haven't been getting that pushback. So I do believe there is this understanding in the real estate community, for, at least from what I'm gathering, that, yeah, prices are going to go back up. So when I read articles like this, I think it's in line with what we could see, namely, a quicker than expected bounce back up in prices in the condo space. Here's what they say. Talking to Pasalis, who is the broker of um, Realosophy. There are gathering signs that condos are poised to sell again and agents are reporting a discernible uptick in investor interest. Very interesting. Investors are coming back. They're seeing things like low interest rates. They're seeing opportunities to get in, right? 
Prices are down 10% right now in the core. Sean Hildebrand, president of market research from Urban Nation, expects condo prices to grow 4% per square foot in Toronto area next year. Next year. Anyways, right now, one of the things that I think is interesting to note is that there is a price gap that we've kind of been mapping out in the, in the way of months of inventory and prices in general between the low rise and the condos. And I think this is a very good point this article says here. As of November, the average price gap between condos and detached was 596,000. The gap between condo and semi was 217,000. Both of those were at their second highest level since the market peaked in late 2016, early 2017. He said, what happened after that? Condos slingshot. Yes, the low rise continued to do well, but nowhere near the success of the condo space. We look more like the end of 2016 than we do last year put it that way this could really start to swing demand towards condos in the second half of the year if it even takes that long if it even takes that long and one of the things to note as well as we kind of wrap up this condo conversation is that year over year we're already up right because you'd think oh well we're coming up against the and this is something that i've said too as we round into the new year you're going to come up against really strong successes of the condo market late in 2019 into 2020. It's going to make the stats of the condos not look so hot. But when you actually look at the last few weeks, the last few weeks, it doesn't paint that same story. It's not really accurate. Realosophy data shows condo sales were already up. We're already up year over year prior to the holidays. 23% the first week of December and 31% the second week and 72% the week of December 14th. Which means if we're up 72%, that is a lot. That's, again, back to where is my spring market going to come from, right? If we're experiencing this in the winter market, it's so interesting. So interesting. Of course, we've got this look forward to immigration. And in fact, Royal LePage forecasts 0.5% growth next year's condo market. And the big thing they say was it's because of immigration. He says this is a direct quote, immigrant, immigrant rents and they tend to rent condos. It's that simple. And half of them end up in Toronto. That fun was squeezed shut for a number of months. Thank you, Scott Ingram, who actually corrected the found stats for us to say, no, no, it's not half to Toronto, as he says. The fact is, it's more like a third, 34.5%, and that's ending up in the GTA, not in Toronto. <laughs> According to the projections that the Fed has for immigration, that would mean about 138,000 for the GTA, which is a big if, as we all know. There's a big target for immigration. Can we actually hit it? But don't worry. Immigrants won't be coming back too quickly anyways. Heck, they even canceled Chinese New Year this year in China because everybody was fighting the... <laughs> Everyone was Kung Flu fighting. I said that wrong. <laughs> everybody was Kung Flu fighting. Ugh. Hit that note perfect. Despite an impending vacant home tax and enforcement of new short-term rental regulations, this is another conversation I want to have. And I know I'm kind of jumping a little bit, but I want to paint the picture of what they're saying is going to happen, but then also give the flip side because I saw a post from Zland talking about short-term rentals, specifically Airbnb. He says this, decline in GTA Airbnb listings stabilized in November. They stabilized which could be a contributing factor to the rental inventory stabilization we are seeing now that you're not hearing out there, but you hear on this show. It would be interesting to see the numbers in Q1 2021 when Airbnb enforcement goes into effect. Very true. Very true. That's one of the big unknowns, I think, as we round into the new year. But it's interesting to see Airbnb listings no longer dropping. In fact, they're kind of flatlining. Will this trend go up, down, or stay flat? 
And then they really define our listener. I think this is cool, guys. I really do. A, a lot of people say, well, who's leading the market? And I, in my opinion, it's you guys. It's the ones who are listening to this show. You are informed. You know what's going on. And I believe as they are describing the condo investors, as they describe the Toronto investors at large, I hear the description of my listeners. Tell me if this sounds anything like you. For 25 years, Canadian condo investors have been small entrepreneurs who own one or several units, he said. Those people are op opportunistic. They tend to make decisions quickly. They are driven by the same ultra-low cost of financing that drives families who are looking to purchase their first house. They will look for the smallest signs of positivity and they will leap at the market. Leap away, folks. You guys are informed. And kudos to you for taking time to educate yourself as and before you go out and make those real estate investments. Woohoo! So I'm not going to get into their predictions. They talk about stabilizing rentals. They talk about 905 continuing to do well. But what I do think is worth noting here in the final predictions is something you haven't heard anywhere else. That is that maybe, just maybe, micro condos are the best opportunity on the market. There's been a lot of speculation that the pandemic spells the end of the micro condo in Toronto. Hildebrand advises, he's advising, big word, that condo buyers looking for bargains downtown would do well to target small units in tall towers. This is not something we've been saying two, three months ago. Not at all. Micro condos, mm -mm. they were the worst. These tiny condos, they were like the headlines of how bad they're doing. Now, all of a sudden, you want to speculate? maybe consider this opportunity right here. We've all been cooped up and tiny condos have been hit the hardest, but this year, our New Year's resolution is to finally go to the gym and cancel that membership. We've been wasting money on every month since last year. <laughs> uh, what other reason is there to go to the gym right now? <laughs> all right, next topic. There's a lot of predictions in there. I hope you guys learned some stuff. Please hit the subscribe button if you did. Please like this video. And uh, let's talk about delinquencies. We got a bunch of delinquents running around our city. Oh, not that kind. Sorry. Mortgage delinquencies set to rise in 2021? Question mark. Toronto and Vancouver, from a Better Dwelling article, says, sees mortgage delinquencies rise to highest level since 2016. The highest, the highest of levels. CMHC data shows mortgage delinquencies are flat in Q3. This is talking about Canada. It's a little different in the biggest real estate markets, though. In Toronto, delinquents are still running around the streets and have reached a multi-year high since 2016. So here's what they say. And it's a 0.3% increase in Q3, which is like, oh, it's only 0.3, which is like flat, right? Whatever. <laughs> ah, that's a flat rate for Canada. Okay, so let's look at Toronto. Because, like, who cares about Toronto and Canada anyways? <laughs> Toronto mortgage delinquencies hit highest level since 2016. Here's what the numbers are. They say the rate is climbing. It's at its highest in years. The rate hit 0.12% in Q3, up 9.1% from the previous quarter. I find this really funny. This is so better dwelling fashion. The quarterly increase is the same compared to last year. This is the highest delinquency rate Toronto has seen since 2016. A big difference between then and now, though, is the trend was moving in the other direction. <laughs> Does that sound like UK? I kind of got this UK feel. Better dwelling is just COVID coming from the UK. <laughs> All right. So that, that's what they say. So it's like, oh, it's like last year, except last year was on the increase and, or sorry, decrease. And now it's on the increase. We're going to hell in a handbasket. Okay. 
Here's what they say. Rising delinquencies are odd to see at this moment, considering market activity and policy measures. And absolutely, I agree, they are. Rising delinquencies are usually a result of constrained liquidity, a.k.a. a lack of buyers. In this market, though, Toronto and Vancouver are seeing price increases and record sales, even in the last few weeks. It's odd to see anyone fall delinquent in the current narrative. Doesn't make any sense. The government rolled out a number of policy measures to prevent delinquencies. The vast majority of people that requested mortgage payment deferrals got them. This should have made the rate lower than usual, but nah-uh. Delinquency rates have changed from 0.09 to 0.12. God help us. <laughs> Man, and in t so let me just point this picture, guys. It's the same as 2016, but in 2015, it was at 0.16. So chill, because I don't think anyone was freaking out back in 2015. I really don't. I think we need to relax a little bit on the, oh, it's risen to the same numbers of 2016. Yeah, it's been very low. We're still like a tenth of 1%. <laughs> Ugh. Listening to Better Dwelling can sometimes be as effective as telling my kids my New Year's resolution, which I'll tell you guys in a bit. Just goes in one year and out the other. <laughs> All right, let's do some hot topics, huh? All right, hot topic number one. Also from Better Dwelling. Why not? <laughs> Since we had so much fun last time. Canadian households see net worth growth slow, decline for seniors. That's the essence. I'm going to give you some of the highlights here. Most Canadian households saw their net worth grow, but some have begun to see it roll back. So if you're under 35 years old, like your household is 35 and lower, you have seen the biggest gains in net worth. Good job, you smarty pantses. Households led by someone 35 saw a net worth increase to 48,000, which is funny to think that 48,000 is the median, up 31.18%. That's not me being braggadocious. I just think that sounds really low, but apparently that's good. So good job. <laughs> Households led by people aged 45 to 54 saw the second fastest growth, 45 to 54, and it's up 13.85% at 521,000. Sounds a little bit more like I would think, right? That's your median net worth within that age bracket. But what about seniors? That poor little grandma, right? Grandma is in your basement because you don't want her on a senior's home. What is, what is her net worth? Poor lady. Households led by people aged 55 to 64, that doesn't sound like a very old grandma, went, their net worth went from 690,000 in 2019 down 2.7 from 2016. The net worths have gone down for people between the ages of 55 to 64. People more like my grandma's age 65 and up, they went down 0.82% over the same period. So the seniors, the older folks, they don't seem to be doing so well in the net worth category. The data in this survey, they say, is pre-pandemic. Seniors saw the fastest growth, this is interesting, from 1999 to 2016 are actually seeing their net worth decline now. Why is that? Could they be passing it along? Could they be doing crazy things like reverse mortgages? I don't know. I don't know. But finally, stats officially prove poor grandma is falling behind. Last week, my power shut off. Actually, I was live on the air. You can go back and check it out if you don't believe me. And my internet went out for just a few minutes and I saw my grandma downstairs. She seems nice. <laughs> you cold-hearted person. Okay, next topic. Everybody in the middle is getting squeezed out and it's painful. Toronto's lack of affordable housing hits those in higher income brackets, says expert. This is a star article. I'll give you the, the interesting stuff. I find what, what I find really interesting is this idea of the cost of living changing. In 1990, the average Toronto home cost four times the average income. Now it costs 15 
can't get my foot. I'm not that. I was going to put my foot up to add the extra five. It costs 15 times the average income. Rents have risen twice as fast as income, but the challenge of affordability extends to higher income brackets too. Wait a minute. So it's not just the, 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 the low, the low income that are affected. Yes, but they're also the ones that are being supported. Listen to this description of what is a missing middle. As Toronto works towards a goal of creating 40,000 affordable rentals by 2030, there's a growing call to house those whose income is too high to qualify for Toronto Community Housing Corp units, even if there were any available, but not high enough to pay market prices. That is the missing middle. And that is why you need to listen to our interview that I have coming out next week with James Burton talking about this crisis, which is a crisis. They're not being helped. But clearly we can see there's a lack and a need there as well. Okay, so CMHC, going to the next topic. New CMHC boss should reject old anti-buyer policies. A lot of the fun we had on our show this year was making fun of Evan Sedal, poor guy. But they're going to be looking to appoint a new CEO into 2021. So there was an article here from the star saying why we need somebody different. Why Evan was not the right guy. So I'm going to read for you this article, but I'm going to hit the perfect, I believe perfect con contradictory view because I think it's important that we recognize what do we want CMHC to do? Like what's the goal here? According to the star, here's what they say. When CMHC appoints a new CEO next year, it should bring the government agency back in line with government priorities and restore the agency's historical role, this is the role, as a champion of home ownership. Your job, CMHC, and the CEO of CMHC is to allow and encourage and help people with home ownership. This would bring an end to a strange policy misadventure that saw CMHC under its high-profile outgoing CEO Kevin or Evan Sedal implement a series of measures. What were they? We saw inflexible mortgage stress tests, which reduced families' buying powers by 20%. And then in June, during the lockdowns, they turned the screws again, reducing the amount many families can borrow, making it harder to qualify for mortgage insurance. Even more difficult at our time of most need. Did you hear that the, the New York City for, for the uh, New Year's Eve this year, they're actually they're paying Evan Sedal $2 million as a consultant. They wanted an expert on dropping the ball. <laughs> so that's the argument number one. We need to deal with housing. We need to get people in homes. That's CMHC's primary function. Well, we got an argument from John Pisalis. Great debate here. And I love his points. I love it because he really drills down on some of the key arguments from that article. He says this, while I have not agreed with all of Evan Siddell's policy decisions or communication styles, he has taken CMHC in the right direction. Okay. This vision slash wish list for his successors from the real estate industry, that's who it's from, not surprisingly would be a major step backwards. Okay. Realtors are hoping for a leader who restores CMHC's alleged role, quote, as a champion of home ownership, but the head of CMHC should be just as concerned about the housing needs of renters. And perhaps more so, given so little has been done to support renters over the past 20 years. So it's not just about you getting into a house. That's a lot of stuff we say on the show too. It's not just about affording a house. If that was the goal, if we want everyone to have housing, then let's address that. If we want our prices to go up, that's a different thing. So you can't have it both ways. 
Here's what he says. The policies proposed by realtors are these. And this was actually right in the article as I read it. The first thing they want is they want to relax the stress test. Chill, dog. Relax the stress test. Number two, increase amortization periods to 30 years. Absolutely. That's going to pump up that demand. They says it will allow people to borrow more, which will inflate house prices even more. Not a problem if you're invested. Not something I'm upset about. But if we want to deal with affordability, it's not going to work that way. And leave Canadian households deeper in debt deeper in debt, lower rates, longer amortization periods, more debt, lower affordability. Sounds like a great adventure for us to go on if in fact we do change Evan. So maybe Evan was someone that we needed all along. He's the, he's the guy. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> we haven't talked about Sidewalk Labs, so I want to briefly cover this before we get in our last topic here. Forget Sidewalk Labs. Keyside plans promise iconic architecture and in, in affordable housing. So all this to say, Waterfront Toronto is proposing to create an iconic looking neighborhood at Keyside. The game's not over. Yes, Sidewalk Labs didn't happen, but they say starting with an RFQ, a request for qualifications around late January next month, followed by a request for proposals in April, Waterfront Toronto will look for qualified buyers to develop the 12 acre site in the waterfront. And they talk about some of the ways they want to do it. If you want to check out the article, you can see it down below. I still think it's a bit early. They want affordable housing. They want to deal with all of these things, you know, but the point is, it's nice to see that that's going to be a big thing because I think it is. Waterfront Toronto is pretty clear with what they want in their key side plans so far. And I'm following suit this year. I'm keeping my New Year's resolution simple. And here it is. Everything in 1080p. <laughs> I ain't trying on that 4K and you watching this on YouTube. <laughs> It's about the audio anyways. Who wants to see this face? All right. Our last topic today is the moratorium. Evictions. Not something you probably have heard much about is maybe we should bring it back. It didn't, wasn't a big deal the first time. John Tory had a lot of guests, a lot of visitors with picket signs. All right. So, okay. So we want to start off with the National Post. And the question that I want to put to you is, one, do we need a moratorium? I, th I think it's ridiculous, but maybe you think we do. Number two is, are we going to get one? And I think as we get voices getting louder and louder once again, maybe it might could happen. All right, so here we go. So people are show being shown no mercy. Online evictions raise alarm in Ontario. So all of these things now are being done online, which is really kind of funny. Tenant after tenant addressed a virtual meeting describing how COVID has wreaked havoc on their lives and finances over the last year. I love these quotes because it just sounds like someone just like complaining, it's like bickering. It's like, put her over there. <laughs> Listen to this. It's COVID. People struggle. <laughs> I mean, okay, when well, you say it like that, right? And there's another one. These people are being shown no mercy, right? They're expected to pay and pay now or get out. <laughs> yeah, you're expected to pay your rent, man. Pay your rent. Similar scenes play out over the last several weeks have raised concerns among Ontario advocates who say the pickup of evictions in the pandemic second wave coincides with a shift to online only hearings that stack the deck against tenants. So tenants are getting played, man, because they're making you go online. How dare you? Evictions were suspended until late summer, which we saw at the LTB is now working through the backlog of cases, many of which were before COVID, by the way. These guys should have paid their rent all the way through. But when they say it stacks the deck against tenants, this is how it does that. I really wish I could read this folks name. This dude can't. Sam Nithyananthan. <laughs> I don't know, maybe we'll figure it out later. An organizer with People's Defense Toronto said the online hearings have been a double-edged sword 
in the eviction process as allies can now tune in and support their neighbors. Oh yeah, sounds like a real weakness for tenants. Nathafanyanyan said, the crisis has exposed longstanding issues renters face in the city and it's motivated tenants to organize in larger numbers than he'd seen before. And they were pretty good at organizing before. But isn't group ups the whole problem this year? <laughs> Not me. I don't even want to go out for New Year's Eve. Cool guys don't look at explosions. <laughs> Here's another one. Ready? What has been shifting is tenants are now standing up. Oh, that was him saying that. That wasn't a bickering tenant. Okay. All right. We'll take it. <laughs> tenants are standing up. Good for you. Stand up. <laughs> all right. Stand up. Don't sit down. But keep your rent. Toronto said his group and others have called for, listen to this, rent relief that goes beyond a moratorium on evictions. Because we often think, keep your rent Toronto, the ones who are like, don't pay your rent. We think that their end game was for moratoriums, but it actually wasn't. What did they want? They wanted free payment of rent. They wanted to like, just forgive my rent. So I'm not going to pay it because there's a possibility of forgiving your rent. Well, enjoy paying your backlog, right? And that's kind of what's happened. They've really helped their folks out, haven't they? We knew that a moratorium at the beginning of COVID crisis would actually just produce an eviction blitz midway through the crisis, which is what we're seeing now. See, they didn't want a moratorium. But if that's all we can get, let's do it again. Because we got an article from thespec.com. This is out of Hamilton. There is no justification for delaying a ban on evictions. Because if we got that the first time, because if health mattered in the first wave, should it not matter in the second? This was from Dr. Go Doris Grinspun, RN, is CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. They are writing a very strongly worded letter to make sure we know that people's lives and health are at stake here. And so we can't be paying rent now. <laughs> they say that as nurses are taking the extra days to again call the premier to ensure he declares the eviction moratorium, the government, all the opposition parties unanimously voted for two weeks ago with over 7,000 eviction cases being heard by the LTB through November and another 4,500 in December, which means hopefully they're catching up or they're all on holidays. Who knows? Preventing evictions is not just about providing desperate economic relief for tenants, though it's that. It is also about their health. In fact, it is a matter of public health. The choices we force on those evicted from their homes all run counter to the public health measures we have imposed. Okay? The premier must act in a consistent way. Oh, you did it the first time. Daddy, but I had chocolate yesterday. Can I have chocolate again today? How can you say no? This means that he is imploring Ontarians to stay home, Mr. Ford. Then he must ensure they have a home in which to stay in even if they choose not to pay rent. And if he is asking people to keep physically distant and bubbled, he cannot also force people to crowd in on others and burst bubbles. And it means he must now act to prevent putting people out on the streets. Very strong letters coming out of health professionals. The front line, emergency workers. When we can do something that will stifle this pandemic, then we must act with urgency. The premier's lockdown delay was simply reckless. Don't disagree with that. Delaying the eviction moratorium is unethical. We call on the government to reinstate a moratorium on evictions immediately. Get those evictions in quick. <laughs> God help us all. God help us. I think this is going to be, depending how loud these voices get, this could pose a problem, once again, for those of you who have struggled with tenants in the past. I have clients that we're working with that are still trying to close on properties because their tenants are refusing to leave even without a moratorium. Add a moratorium to this. Oh my goodness. Why did we ever quit it in the first place? Should have just kept it forever, right? So for those of you who are planning to quit bad habits for New Year, remember, nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> well, I hope you guys had some fun.
And oh, this year we've had a ton of fun and averaging like 17 podcasts per month. We've grown to be number one on iTunes and Spotify and been able to grow our YouTube channel by more than double. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for continuing to tune in and to add value to your own life, but also to our channel and leaving comments and likes and all of that fun. This year has been awesome. And I'm truly sorry to those that I offended along the way, hopefully in equal proportion. <laughs> I was really hoping 2020 would be a year where people stopped getting offended by everything, but boy, was I wrong. All I said was, I hope you start off the new year on the right foot. Damn amputees. <laughs> Ugh, better luck next year or week, however you want to say it. And I'm going to leave it there and I'll see you guys in the new year. Take care and keep it real. Thank you.